Welcome to On The Mic With Mike. We don't always have these conversations with our loved ones, but we need to. The podcast that addresses controversial issues that affect us in the criminal justice system. Do you understand what we had to get to to carry a gun and defend ourselves? And even cultural challenges we face every day. People just love to make it about race. That's not the case. What causes you to be in a relationship that may lead to a potential domestic issue down the line? Resolve your unconscious bias and grow from an independent perspective based on facts and data. Why not use statistics in your analysis? And now your host. Do I seem like I'm on something or am I just losing it? Instructor Mike. All right, here we go. Welcome Welcome to On The Mic With Mike. I am your podcast host, Instructor Mike. You can follow me on Facebook at Mike Brown or Instructor Mike. Follow me on Instagram at Yes Mike Said It. TikTok at Yes Mike Said It as well. Subscribe to my uh, YouTube page, which I'm live on at the time of this recording. Instructor Mike, hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell for notifications. So we are going to go on ahead and dive in into a case of, um, let me get her name (laughs) name correct. It's a beautiful name, by the way. Uh, It's out of Michigan. It's a 2017, I believe, 2017 case of Sawatu uh, Salama Ra. Hope I said this name. Please don't get mad if I butched the name. That was not my intent whatsoever, but it is a beautiful name, okay? And uh, this is the picture of the young lady right here. Uh, Siwatu Salama Ra. So how this even came up, uh, as something I was going to, uh, even discuss, I was in class and there were some people or a young lady who had asked a question about, uh, using a firearm against a car that could perhaps be moving toward you. Uh, and my rule of thumb is you typically don't want to be using a car that's uh, a using a firearm towards a car that is moving toward you because even if you shoot at that car shoot through the windshield be you know have the round that's able to penetrate and then the bullet not be deflected by the windshield all things that could happen uh in you know a situation where you're using a firearm toward uh, you know, glass, especially windshields, provided that you're able to be effective and accurate. Um, even if the person is shot and that person is stopped, you still have to deal with the laws of physics in terms of that vehicle being in motion, which means you probably still gotta have to get out the way, you know, so why shoot and just get out the way, you know, um, because cars have limitations too. So let's dive into the story uh, in so far as we know this story. And of course, I'm reading this on nationalreview.com, uh, okay? Because I tried the best I could to get the uh, information as much as I could. I'm just going to go on ahead and dive into it, okay? So just bear with me a little bit. All right, in the past week or so, and of course, this is at nationalreview.com. You can just look up Suwatu Salaman Ra's self-defense claims and the other side of the story. Uh, so I'm reading directly from that, and we're going to talk about that. In the past week or so, there have been numerous articles about the case of uh, Detroit's Suwatu Salaman Ra, an environmental activist and legal gun owner who was sent to prison while pregnant earlier this year over actions uh, she says she took in self-defense. This is a case that deserves close scrutiny from gun rights advocates and has already garnered supportive comments from the NRA, the National Rifle Association, and the Second Amendment Foundation. But a lot of the media coverage has been incredibly slanted, sometimes to the point of not even explaining the other side of the story and confusing on a factual level to boot. So here is an attempt to clear, I'm sorry, clarify the basic details, give the full picture and relay some of the new comments from Detroit police and prosecutors, including a blanket denial that the police have a, quote, race to the station, 
close quote, policy in which the person who files a report first is simply assumed to be the victim in the incident, as some have claimed. The problem started at Ra's mother's house. And of course, this article is something that I can appreciate because it appears to tell both sides of the story. Okay. In Ra's, t uh, I'm sorry, the problem started at Ra's mother's house. When Ra tried to send one of her niece's friends home, this friend had allegedly beat up the niece in a school bathroom, though the two had since made up. The friend's mother, Chanel Harvey, on probation for an assault charge, arrived to pick her daughter, uh, pick up her daughter, fears that her kid wasn't welcome. In Ra's telling, as the argument boiled over, Harvey deliberately rammed Ra's car, in which Ra's daughter, just two years old, was playing and started driving her own car back and forth, menacing Ra and her mother. At this point, Ra got her unloaded handgun, for which she was licensed to carry, out of the car's glove compartment and pointed it at Harvey's car to stop the threat. I'm going to read that part again. At this point, I'm going to read it back from where it says in Ra's telling. In Ra's telling, as the argument boiled over, no police were called. None. Now, I don't know the tenets of the argument, but Harvey deliberately rammed Ra's car in which Ra's daughter, just two years old, was playing and started driving her own car back and forth Menacing Ra and her mother. At this point, Ra got her unloaded handgun, for which she was licensed to carry, out of the gloves, car's glove compartment, and pointed it at Harvey's car to stop the threat. Michigan is a stand-your-ground state, so Ra had no duty to retreat. And Ra also feared that her mother couldn't get out of the car's way. Continuing, Harvey tells a different story. Harvey alleges that Ra pulled a gun in the middle of a verbal dispute and Harvey rammed Ra's car only in an attempt to get away. Quote, when the road cleared, but before she drove away, she stopped to take three pictures of Ra holding the gun, but Ra hid it out of sight behind her back. Close quote. M Live reports. Those pictures, which they were trying to get a hold to via freedom of information request, evidently were later used at trial as evidence that Ra, quote, didn't look scared, close quote. These conflicting stories eventually resulted in a unanimous, beyond a reasonable doubt, jury verdict against Ra, and Ra's defenders say the process was warped from start to finish. Perhaps the weirdest allegation Concerns a policy of the Detroit Police Department. Now, continuing on. I did some more research on this. And I looked at, because uh, it was a lot of stuff that was surrounding, you know, this case that was talked about. Uh, and I happened to have, you know, tried the best I could to do some more uh, research on this. And so what I happened to have seen was... Uh, where are we at right now? Cause uh, here we go. Sorry about that. <laughs> now there were dueling stories, of course. And then, uh, Harvey's lawyer at the time, I'm, I'm on another part, michiganradio.org, uh, pregnant activist prison, defending herself and her family. Uh, the part where it says self-defense and the law. Okay. The question of fear of what fear looks like when it's justified and who decides that is at the heart of this case. It's also at the heart of Michigan's laws governing acts when self-defense are justified and when they are not. So Doolin, which is Stephen Doolin is with the Michigan coalition of responsible gun owners and an adjunct professor at Cooley law school. Uh, Dooling says that pulling a gun is always considered deadly force. The person using the deadly force has no duty to retreat from a threatening situation, but quote, deadly force is appropriate self-defense only when preventing death 
great bodily harm or rape. Close quote. Doolin says, quote, imminent death, bodily harm or rape. And it's a two pronged test. There must be an actual imminent threat to yourself or others. And your use of deadly force must be reasonable. So you actually have to believe it. And basically, the jury has to agree that your fear was reasonable under the circumstances. Those of you all who know me, you hear me say this all the doggone time that, you know, there is three things. Reason, right, and reasonable. Reason, right, and reasonable. Reason. Yeah, we can all come up with a reason to do something. Right. Whatever that may be. Right. The law will determine that. Right. In terms of what the law statutorily says. Right. Or, or, you know, some type of case law coming out of the appellate, federal and state appellate courts and federal and state Supreme Court. Okay, those would be your uh, case law. And then you have reasonable belief, right? Reasonableness is not necessarily determined by you. It's determined by the triers of fact, be it a judge or jury. People need to understand that. Also, I will state this. Stand your ground, right? has no duty to retreat. People misconstrue stand your ground all the time. Stand your ground means I don't have to run away. Stand your ground does not mean I gotta shoot. That's a separate analysis. You can stand your ground and use non-deadly force. You can stand your ground and use deadly force. But in both were your actions reasonable? Now, let's continue with this, because this is important. Rod didn't have to take her case to a jury. Her first lawyer encouraged her to take a plea deal, but Rod didn't want that, says her trial attorney, Victoria Burton Harris. Suatu rejected <clears throat> that advice and said, quote, I would rather fight this. I am not who they are painting me as. I acted in self-defense. I would like to present my case to a jury, close quote, said Burton Harris. All the jury had to go on were these dueling stories and the three cell phone pictures Harvey had taken of Ra holding her gun. Burton Harris says the prosecutor made a big deal out of those pictures, saying Ra didn't look scared in them. Burton Harris questions that perception Fear looks different on different people, she said. And that was the part, and that, I'm sorry, and that was a part of what the jury had to analyze or determine. So let's dive more into this. Looking at the dueling stories. I'm going to go back to Ra's version of the events. Because we must deal with that. In reading it back again on nationalreview.com. Matter of fact, let's take a commercial break. Here we go. We'll be right back with more on the mic with Mike. Kids are bombarded with so much information these days. It can be hard for them to discern the messages that are important and valuable. The What I Tell Myself book series from author Michael A. Brown is an award-winning series that has been featured on CBS, Fox, and NBC for their powerful and positive messages for kids. Based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Michael A. Brown's book, What I Tell Myself First, Children's Real-World Affirmations of Self-Esteem, is a book of real-world affirmations that highlight the various abilities and attributes of the reader while exposing readers to realistic possibilities of rejection of difference in various forms. The author also writes books about self-protection, talent, and patience, and more. These are colorful and inspiring books that you and your children will love. They're full of easy-to-understand positive messages that are heartwarming and impactful. You can learn more about the wonderful books from author Michael A. Brown online at whatitellmyselffirst.com. That's whatitellmyselffirst.com. All right, welcome back with On the Mic with Mike. Let's continue uh, with this. For those of you all just joining us, we're talking about the case of Sawatu Salaman Ra uh, out of Michigan. This is a 2017 issue uh, after one of my students asked about, uh, can we use you know deadly force towards vehicles that are coming towards us, things like that? And uh, I simply said, well, you know, if the car is coming towards you, you might want to move out the way first because even if you shot and killed the person who's driving the car, you still got to deal with the issue of the moving car, right? So it could be easy to just get out the way. But let's use this case because it does involve a vehicle and it does involve a firearm, okay? 
And it does involve stand your ground. And it does involve a few other things, right? So let's go ahead and get into it. I like nationalreview.com. That's what I'm looking at, nationalreview.com. And we are looking at um, just a little bit ways down, what, maybe two or three, four, five, uh, one, two, three, four paragraphs down. Let's look at Ra's version of events. In Ra's telling, the argument boiled over Harvey deliberately ramming Ra's car in which Ra's daughter, just two years old, was playing and started driving her own car back and forth, menacing Ra and her mother. Now, I'm a father, four children, three of whom are, you know, girls, uh, two teenagers, and then two toddlers, both three and two. I'm not putting my little Amber in a doggone car, just two years old, playing by her doggone self. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Somebody, please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not putting my doggone two-year-old Amber in the doggone car, playing by herself. Her mama not going, I'm not going either. Okay, so let's talk about that. Because I don't care if she's a big two or a doggone little two. What is she doing in the doggone car, playing by herself, unfreaking supervised? Okay, especially given the tenets of what took place in that it was the problem started at Ra's mother's house when Ra tried to send one of her niece's friends home. This friend allegedly beat up the niece in the school bathroom, though the two had since made up. The friend's mother, Chanel Harvey, on a probation uh, for an assault charge, arrived to pick her daughter up, furious that her kid was no longer welcome. Of course, after they made up, I get it. But you have the right to choose who you want at your house. It's your house. In Ra's telling, the argument boiled over. Harvey deliberately rammed Ra's car, in which Ra's daughter, just two years old, was playing and started driving her own car back and forth, menacing Ra and her mother. At this point, Ra got her unloaded handgun, for which she is licensed to carry. Let's stop there. We're going to go ahead and go to the doggone rules of using a firearm because I think this is just doggone very important to talk about. So as a part of your training, okay, and I'm certified and licensed in the state of Illinois. I've taught in other states as well too, okay, uh, and I did at one point in time seek to, you know, gain the ability to be able to teach, you know, uh, as a certified instructor in Michigan, found out other ways, you know, uh, but let's get to some doggone safety fundamentals, okay? Let's start with the father of them all the National Rifle Association. Always keep the gun pointed in a safe direction. Always keep your finger off of the trigger until you're ready to shoot. Always keep the gun unloaded until ready to use. Got that. Let's go to other rules. Safety fundamentals. All guns are always loaded. Never point a gun at anything you're not willing to shoot. Keep your finger off of the trigger until your sights are on target. And make sure, be sure of your target and the backstop beyond. Let's go on ahead and go to Patriot Patch Company. The four rules of gun safety. Treat every firearm as if it were loaded. Never point at a gun. Never point a gun at anything you are not willing to destroy. Keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire. And be sure of your target and what's behind it. Let's go to USCCA. Treat all guns as if they were always, what? Loaded. Never point a gun at anything you are not willing to destroy. Keep your finger off the trigger and out of the trigger guard until you have made the decision to shoot and know your target and what's behind it. And let's go to USCCA again. The universal safety rule number one, treat all guns as though they are always loaded and always perform a clearance check every time you pick one up. I'm not making this stuff up, people. So if in the rules... We are to always assume that firearms are loaded, right? What would be the purpose of picking up an unloaded handgun for which she was licensed to carry out of the car's glove compartment and point it at Harvey's car to stop the threat? Let's just say this car did not stop. 
what, if anything, were you going to do next after all the gun was unloaded? You had no ability to carry out what your intent was. You said, you know, and I read, I read some other information that alleged that she said her intention was just to scare Chanel Harvey off and stop the deadly threat from occurring. But if you went through training and you were certified by someone who was certified by one of the national accrediting agencies, you were taught to assume that every firearm is loaded. So let's look at it from the position of Chanel Harvey, who tells a different story. Rob pulled a gun in the middle of a verbal dispute. Harvey rammed Rob's car only in an attempt to get away. And when the road cleared before she drove away, she stopped to take three pictures of Ra holding the gun, but Ra hid it out of sight behind her back. And those pictures were used at trial as evidence that Ra, quote, didn't look scared, close quote. So, in answering, or in, an yes, in answering a universal question that one of my students posed to me, as to whether or not we should ever use a firearm towards a moving vehicle, especially within the context of this situation. An argument got out of hand. Ra was right to, not for the use of the firearm, but Ra was right to want anyone who is not welcome in the house to ask them to leave. And given that it was a minor, to, uh, to contact the minor's parent to come retrieve your child. Yes, you came over. You were furious. Furious. Right? You were furious that your daughter got kicked out. Get it. Check that box. But then the argument started to boil over. All the way to the point where you're alleging that this person, right, then got in their car. That's why I said you got to play chess, not checkers with this. If the argument got so out of hand to the point where it boiled over to where you went from the prefrontal cortex, logic and reasoning to the amygdala, the part of the brain that controls fight, flight, freeze and emotions. And you forgot that your two year old daughter was in the doggone car. You went Back to that same car. You didn't grab your child. You grabbed the handgun. You grabbed the handgun. An unloaded one at that. So, here we go. You see me pointing my firearm just like this. Finger on the trigger. If you're watching on YouTube. Now, even with my finger off the trigger, how can you tell that my firearm is loaded or unloaded? You can't. Why? Because we assume all firearms are loaded. If that firearm is pointed at you, you are right to assume that that firearm is pointed in an unsafe direction. And if that person has their finger on the trigger... And we won't know because we have to see these pictures. But being a firearms instructor for as long as I have been one, people have the unfortunate habit of having bad trigger discipline. Bad trigger discipline. So maybe under the influence of stress, finger might have been on the trigger. In any event, she was charged with felonious counts of aggravated assault. Which in, Michigan is, which in Michigan is placing someone in reasonable apprehension of receiving a battery. Now, did you have a right to stand your ground? For sure. Ra had a right to tell this person you got to leave and take your kid with you. But Harvey's story looks more practical. You pointed a gun at me. And of course I rammed your car only in an attempt to get away. I can see that happening. 
And so you have it where there's a statement that, well, she, she was using non-deadly force. That was a part of someone's argument. She was using non-deadly force. You, you can't be kidding me in saying that non-deadly force was the case because the gun was unloaded. Because if that's the argument that you were trying to make, it's a horrible one. Because in all of the safety rules that are here, that are based on one's training, we assume every firearm is loaded. We point that firearm in a safe direction. We keep our finger off the trigger. And you never point that firearm at anyone or anything you're not willing to destroy. And you know your target and what's beyond it. I don't care what gun rules you put up there. It is a universal rule. Now, we don't do that. We don't point that firearm at someone we're not trying to shoot to stop the deadly threat. Back down. And yes, I am well aware. I am well aware that you can brandish in certain cases a firearm with the intent to try to get that person to comply. But let's ask about the practicality of pointing an unloaded firearm at what you assumed to be a deadly threat. If in fact it was a deadly threat and your firearm is unloaded, how are you going to stop that deadly threat? Are you trying to do it through the threat of force? Be now, here's another thing. Because I'm going to tell you what actually, you know, aside from that, what triggered this story. I went to, you all know my friends, right? The National African American Gun Association, their page. You're going to be mad. I'm going to trigger some folks. Let's go. The National African American Gun Association, around that time, said as African Americans, we are all too familiar with contending with, difference, with a different standard of judgment under the law. We are not given the same benefit of a doubt that other groups take for granted. Such is the case of Suwatu Salaman Ra, an African-American woman, community activist, mother, wife, and resident of Detroit, who embraces her Second Amendment right as much as she embraces all other rights entitled to her as a citizen of this country. In July of 2017, Mrs. Ra, exercise her natural right of self-defense from what she perceived to be an imminent threat to her and her family's safety. Mrs. Ra's conviction and sentence are the result of a confluence of failure between law enforcement and the prosecutor's office. And that's the statement from the National African American Gun Association. I find that statement troubling. So, and by the way, shouts out to the National African American Gun Association. I believe in the association, but I have questions. I tried to look up the gun rules for, you know, NAGA. I couldn't find them on the internet. I found the NRAs. I found the USCCAs. I found so many other different agencies. I couldn't find theirs. And that's fine. So I have questions. Is it the case that we would will it to be universal rule. And of course, I'm using a categorical imperative according to the philosopher Immanuel Kant. Let's talk ethics. Should we will it as universal law that it is okay for NAGA members to brandish unloaded firearms to stop deadly threats, especially if said threat is seen to be a moving vehicle. Is that something that we should do? For if you have one shot, one kill, no luck, all skill, where you are able to have that bullet penetrate and go through the windshield and hit the driver, let's make it sexy. In the ocular cavity, penetrating and hitting the brainstem, believing to be 
perceived or actual instant incapacitation. You do understand that the body does certain things. You do understand that there is such a thing called the cadaver's response. Well, what is such a response? That is a response where, you know how you watch it on the movies where a person gets shot and then when that person gets shot, what happens? They may die or appear to be motionless, but their body tenses up. If they have their finger on the trigger, they'll press that trigger and then the gun will still fire. This is why in taser training, we taser instructors instruct the people holding the person to be tased to grab their hands and get it away from genitals and bring the palms in a position to where when that person is tased, they won't grab your genitals and squeeze the crap out of them because that is something that can still happen. So let's take that and then transition that reality into shooting a person with the intent, shooting a person in a vehicle with the intent to stop the threat. If you shoot them and you're successful, by the way, it's going to be hard with an unloaded pistol, right? But if you shoot them, and you stop them, is it going to be the situation where that car will then suddenly stop? After all, this isn't Hollywood. It's written in the script how the car will stop, what direction it will go in, it will be guided as such, because the person operating the vehicle has to appear to be motionless. But this ain't Hollywood, baby. That car is still going to hurt whomever you are assuming to be in fear of losing their life. Right? So is that something we would will as universal law to use an unloaded pistol? And then, under the, you know, defense claims, we say that this person used non-deadly force with a firearm. Non-deadly force with a firearm. When the cardinal rules are, we assume every firearm is loaded. We point that firearm in a safe direction. We keep our finger off of the trigger until you're ready to fire. Right? Let's continue with this case. But more when we come back with On the Mic with Mike. Don't go anywhere. Hey, what's going on? It's Instructor Mike. Are you in the market for a good firearm? Are you looking for a place in the state of Illinois where you can practice effective and safe usage of a firearm to defend yourself, shooting for sport, or just inviting your family members out to a wonderful place where they can learn about exercising their Second Amendment rights? Well, Eagle Sports Range is the place for you. 5900 West 159th Street in Oak Forest. Our state-of-the-art range is comfortable, safe, and provides you with the perfect environment to enjoy your shooting. Whether you're a firearms enthusiast or just starting out, their range has everything you want for your shooting needs. Fully air-conditioned for comfort with friendly and knowledgeable staff that also have a great selection of firearms for sale or rent as well as ammunition that you conveniently need on site. Eagle Sports Range, that's eaglesportsrange.com, 708-535-3000. Alright, we're back with On The Mic with Mike. We're continuing with our topic of discussion uh, and I'd like for you to comment, you know, go to the YouTube page, Instructor Mike, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell for notifications. You can go to the actual video and then comment in the comments below uh, that of the, in the video that has the same title uh, where we're discussing this. Uh, let me get the title of the video. Open Discussion, Michigan's, Michigan Stand Your Ground Law and uh, CY2 Salam and Ra. Okay. Here we go. Now, the defense attorney told her to take a plea. I would have said the same thing too if I were a licensed attorney, right? Because insofar as it looks, right, you got dueling stories. Nobody's recording. I don't think that was a thing. Well, it probably was a thing back then or not. Who knows? Whatever, right? But dueling stories, no other witnesses that could testify to what occurred, you know, except maybe the mom, but we'll, we don't know where that testimony went. Maybe it was used. Maybe it wasn't. Pictures that were able to be taken about how the person didn't look scared, whatever the case might have been, right? And then Michigan stand your ground 
law. Ra had no duty to treat, retreat. And Ra also feared that her mother couldn't get out of the car's way. Now, let me clarify something. Contrary to popular belief, you are able to use deadly force to stop someone else who is about to experience deadly force or great bodily harm. You're able to. Every law in every, well, the laws in every state support that, okay? Regardless to how it's written. But I find it troubling, right? Ra ended up with the assault charge. Again, I'm on nationalreview.com. Ra ended up with an assault with a dangerous weapon charge against both Harvey and Harvey's daughter who was in the car when Ra pulled the gun. After she refused a plea deal, prosecutors added the felony firearm which, though some media outlets have called it firearm possession, refers to the use of a gun during the commission of a felony. And at trial, the jury saw to, seemed to get sidetracked with members asking why Ra's young daughter had been playing in a car with a gun in the glove box, even though this was irrelevant to the charges. Irrelevant or not, I got the same question. I got the same question. And why did you not remove your daughter into the house? Right. You went and got the gun, but you didn't remove your daughter. Neither here nor there. Let's continue. Right. Ra was convicted of assaulting Harvey, though not Harvey's daughter. And also of the firearm charge. Miller notes that the jury was instructed that she did not have a duty to retreat if she had an honest and reasonable belief that the use of deadly force was necessary to prevent imminent death and or great bodily harm, adding that. Quote, they rejected her claim of self-defense under the facts. Ra, for her part, is appealing the verdict. Members of the jury have not come forward to speak to the media about how they saw things. Truth be told, without having seen the trial firsthand, it's hard to say exactly why they believe so strongly that Ra had broken the law or how reasonable their conclusion was. Now, the case did go to the Michigan Court of Appeals. And the Michigan Court of Appeals reversed the convictions, right? Stating that uh, it is possible that uh, because the jury had not been instructed about the stand your ground law and things like that, and that, you know, she tried to make the claim, but that it was rejected, that it is more probable than not that it led to the conviction. So they reversed it and remanded it. So it wasn't an outright reversal of the uh, convictions without there being some, you know, uh, attempt in essence to, you know, get the, uh, give the state the ability to be able to retry the case. <clears throat> so what happened was they retried the case. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They didn't retry the case, uh, but they refiled, uh, the indictments against her and they presented her with that plea that, for your plea of guilty, we will knock it down to the misdemeanor charges. And she pled guilty to that. And while they're calling it a travesty of justice, I understand why it took place the way it did. Now, we're on Vox.com, and we're looking at, uh, the title of this article is, She Defended Herself With a Legally Owned and Unloaded Gun. Now she's facing two years of prison. Siwatu Salaman Ra had a concealed carry permit. It didn't matter. Last summer, a black woman in Michigan defended herself, her mother, and her two-year-old daughter with a registered and unloaded gun against a woman who she and her attorneys say tried to hit them with a car. She was a concealed carry permit holder and living in an open carry state one with a stand-your-ground law in place. Now, Sawatsu Salaman Ra is serving a two-year prison sentence at Huron Valley Correctional Facility for felonious assault and for felony firearms conviction. She's seven months pregnant, according to her attorneys, and receiving insufficient medical care. So that's one of the things they kind of hung their hat on in their uh, appeal and things of that nature, okay? Uh, Ra's case is yet another instance of a black gun owner with the permits to legally carry defending themselves against violence and getting punished for it. I spoke with uh, Patrice Cullors, co-founder of Black Lives Matter, who told me Suwatu should be home getting ready to deliver her baby um, and being with her family. Instead, she is suffering and isolated 
uh, being punished for protecting herself, her child, and her mother. This is a shameful, shameful reality, and it is clear that we need to challenge a criminal justice system that would try a pregnant black woman for upholding stand-your-ground laws and her Second Amendment rights. Now, continuing. I got to read this. Mash Ture, founder of Black Guns Matter, a gun rights association aimed at urban communities and black Americans, told me that too often local governments, quote, drop the ball, close quote, when it comes to protecting the gun rights of black Americans. He referred to the case of Marissa Alexander, who served three years in prison for firing a single shot near her husband, who she said had threatened to kill her. You have, and I'm quoting him directly, okay? Uh, I tend to like to quote the person directly because, you know, I don't want to be misstated as though I'm being biased or any of those other things, right? Quote, you have situations where women defending their lives are sent to jail for the dumbest shit on earth. A man attempts to attack a woman instead of killing the man, she shoots in the air and that woman is facing years, close quote, he said. Quote, those scenarios are outrageous and a mass media and public outrage is heightened. But justice for these situations is trash. Let's talk about that trash, shall we? Here we go. Marissa Alexander. We're looking at the case of Marissa Alexander. I'm on the law of self-defense.web. Uh, the University of North Carolina.edu for the selected case. This is the people of the state of Florida versus Alexander. Case number CF 2000, strike that, 16, uh, 2010 CF 008579. Three counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. So the outcome, she was denied immunity in a stand-your-ground hearing. Okay? Uh, sorry about that. Here we go. She then turned down a plea deal. So let's get to the summary of the case. Miss Alexander filed a restraining order against her abusive husband, Rico Gray. She also, in the past, had given birth to their baby, who was born prematurely, seemingly due to the battering. Right? Mrs. Ale Miss Alexander came home and found Gray and her child into the home. What was the first thing she should have done? She should have called the police. Should have called the police. But no. Okay? And this is the part that I have. This is the problem that I have with certain people who inflame the passions of people who have a right to be mad at otherwise unjustified situations, and they don't teach the freaking lesson. Let's continue. Should have called the police, because he beat your ass before, and you didn't call the police. Instead, you got into an argument, right? They got into an argument, and what's missing from this is he began to put his hands on her. They left from she left. He left from the bathroom. Then she left into the garage where her car was parked. She retrieved her handgun for which she was licensed and entered back into the home, firing a warning shot into the ceiling to get Gray to leave. Okay. The required sentence for aggravated assault for a deadly weapon in Florida is currently, at that time, 20 years due to a law called the 1020 Life Legislation. So let me explain what that legislation is. Because see, the problem is when people fail for the lack of knowledge and they don't understand the law in that place at that time. So. Florida has a law as it relates, and I have my Florida concealed carry, so you need to know these things. Florida has a law that states that you are not to use deadly force towards someone who has a legal right to reside in the home, for which Rico Gray did before the order of protection. When the order of protection is activated, that right is temporarily suspended, and he is to no longer be in there, right? Well... Here we go. There's 1020 life legislation in the production of a gun. If you brandish that gun in the commission of a crime, it's an automatic 10 years upon conviction. If you shoot that firearm after said brandishing in the commission of the crime, it's an automatic mandatory minimum of 20 years, 20 years. 
And then you have the life sentences, which are subsequent if more dangerous things or deadly things happen, right? You are not allowed to fire a warning shot, especially in that manner, given that the bullet, according to Gray, you know, could have hurt the kids, right? Not to state that you couldn't shoot Gray if he was trying to hurt you. You're authorized to defend yourself. Florida is a stand your ground state. You need not retreat. But we oftentimes plan for when things go good and we don't plan for when things go bad. So let's just say in route to the garage, he happened to have grabbed the bat and beat you upside your head and you didn't get to the car to grab that gun. I bet you you would wish you would have called the police then. She is alleging, she is alleging that she was not able to get out of the garage even though investigators saw nothing wrong with the garage at all. Okay. And so here we go in November, 2014. Uh, or strike it. Let's go back. She was offered a plea deal, which she turned down much like raw. Okay. State's attorney, Angela Corey, right? This is in Duval County in the fourth judicial circuit of Florida. Now you all remember that name, Angela Corey, having been popularized, if you will, in the George Zimmerman case. So these cases were kind of going in the same area because George Zimmerman tried to claim stand your ground and he was denied. Then Marissa Alexander tries to claim stand your ground and guess what? She too was denied. You know why she was denied? Because you didn't have to use that force that you used. Stand your ground means you don't have to retreat, but there's a separate analysis as it relates to the use of force that must also take place subsequent to your decision not to retreat pursuant to stand your ground. It's a two-pronged decision-making process. Mm -hmm. And so you fired that warning shot and state's attorney Angela Corey having some kind of sympathy or empathy for your situation, offered you a sweet deal of three years. You said, screw that, took that trial tax, and got 20. Now, where does the case stand now? She is no longer in jail. Yay! But she still has a felony conviction. Why? The prosecutor, upon appeal, was found to have given the jury incorrect instructions or made an incorrect argument that she has to prove that she was a victim. That she had to prove that, you know, she had the ability, not the ability, but that she had a right to use deadly force. In a criminal trial, we know that's not the case. The defendant has no burden of proof. The state has the burden of proof of proving the person guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And because that was told to the jury, it likely resulted in the conviction. More probable than not. So they reversed the conviction and remanded it back to the lower courts for a typical action or for another action pursuant to that decision. And so they decided, here we go, on November 14th, Alexander accepted a plea deal in exchange for pleading guilty to all three counts, she would be sentenced to three years in prison. Her original plea deal towards which she already had a thousand plus days and they would allow that to count. With the exception of a possible five year sentence for the second open plea, she would only have 65 more days in prison. She is free, but she still has a felony conviction. See, the problem that I have with these social reactivist is that sure inflame the passions because that's what people do with their bases and they have the right to do that whatever you want to go for it that's fine but don't forget to teach the lesson don't forget to teach the lesson because here we are looking at the raw case no lesson on shooting at or attempting to make someone believe that you're going to shoot them in a moving vehicle. No attempt to do anything about that. First of all, we don't brandish unloaded pistols. 
even NAGAs, and you all made that possible by making that acronym the National African American Gun Association. So I'm going to call you what you are, NAGAs, right? Even NAGAs in the hood say, look, you don't pull a gun unless you're about to use it. I'm going to tell you something. Black folks in the hood ain't afraid of guns. Some people are. I'll give you about half. But people know once you pull that bit, you better use it. And given that, you know, we all might have some hood tendencies. How did you not know that? I'm just saying. What's the lesson to be learned here? Let's get to it. Even if you were to shoot at a car, right? And you shot that person in the car and they were no longer able to move. As Jimbo would say in South Park, mm, it's coming right for us. I'm just saying it's still coming toward you. You still got to move. You still got to move. You still got to take some kind of action to get out of the way because the laws of physics still apply here. You got to move. What did we learn from the Marissa Alexander case? Look, ammo is expensive right now. Do you think firing a warning shot, maybe back then it wasn't expensive, right? We're talking about COVID times, pandemic. But damn, do you think firing a warning shot makes sense? I mean, after all, it wasn't explained how he got into the home. Rumor has it, through other reports and sources, she allowed him back in. Shh, we don't want to talk about that. I've seen that happen before. You get your order of protection. But bae, I love you. I love you. It's just going to be us in this. I love you. And you let him back in. And then you knew he was going to whoop your ass. You knew the gun was in the car. You ain't close to it. And you don't know if he has a gun on him. You should have called the police. You should have called the police. Come on, man. Don't inflame the passions of the people without teaching them the lesson. Teach them. Give advice. If people don't listen, let adversity teach them. This is Instructor Mike, and you've been trained. Follow me on Facebook at Instructor Mike or Mike Brown. Follow me on TikTok and Instagram, and yes, Mike said it. Subscribe to my YouTube page, Instructor Mike. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell for notifications. I hope you all did learn something from that. I really hope you did. Shouts out to Eagle Sports Range, 5900 West 159th Street in Oak Forest. 708-535-3000. EagleSportsRange.com. Go there for your firearm needs. Okay? I want you to be safe. I want you to be safe. Take care.